Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. Episode number 253. This is a monumental episode. This is probably, I think it's the highest episode number we've ever done. I don't know. It could be. I think so. You're just saying that because I'm recording this from a plane, right? Physically the highest we've ever <laughs> yeah. been up off the ground. Altitude wise, it's the, the highest. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, definitely two. 253 is the, the highest number-wise because we record going up. But yeah, it's I yeah. think altitude-wise, this has to be the highest. But you've actually evened it out because I think you said you were in Death Valley recording this. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Net, we're, who knows? So two milestones, though. Definitely. Put it in the books. But uh, today, what are we talking about today, Matt? Give us a little taste of the topic here. People may, may not have listened to this before or, have, or and might not be in California or experienced any sort of business or competition in California. The general idea is any sort of restraint against competition. I'll use the word competition. Generally, not enforceable. And we, we've talked about different ways where, you know, it's it can be considered that and with trade secrets, owner, you know, things like that. But yeah. we, we had a decision, and this was end of January here, that kind of changed this a little bit. And... Let me just get into kind of the facts behind this. So we have, let's see, USS PO, or I'm just going to abbreviate. It's UPI is, is how they abbreviate, but USS POSCO Industries. They faced a vacancy in this certain type of skilled worker that they need. If someone really is interested, maintenance, technical, electrical, MTE worker. So here's what they did. They needed to find these people and in order, it's a highly skilled area. So they needed to train these people, which Generally speaking, if you're an employee, if you have employees and you're going to train them, you have to compensate that for that. So this program they created, 135 weeks of instruction, 90 weeks of job training, and 45 weeks of classroom work. So pretty substantial. Cost was also pretty substantial, $46,000 per employee that this they estimated this program cost. So Jeez. it's pretty significant. I mean, I think that's higher than the median family income in, yeah. <laughs> in San Diego last year, which is crazy. So... During this time, these the employees still got paid their regular wages. So this was kind of in addition to train them for this, I assume, this higher level or more technical side of it. If they completed the program, they would be assigned to this MTE vacancy, and that was that. But the thing to keep in mind here is participation in this was voluntary because they still had their normal position, but this would be a, a higher skilled position where I assume they would get much higher pay than they did before. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think that's safe to say. Do you, do you know if the training was while they were working or was it outside like class? The reason I'm asking is because you mentioned that, you know, generally if you're training an employee, you have to pay them unless like there's a four factor test, right? I mean, it's voluntary, if it's outside of regular work hours and not directly related to the employee's job and that the employee doesn't perform any productive work during that. And it, it's a little ambiguous about that, but it, it seems like these guys did it during their employment, right? And that's maybe that's why they were, and they were paid their regular wage. Yeah. And so really, the, the main factor we're talking about here that it's voluntary and it may not have been enough to not pay them for that training time, but we're, we're talking about something a little bit different here. No, and that's, it's a good point. That's why seeing, you know, and one of the important things to see here is that it was in fact voluntary and that'll come into play later. 
But they, what another thing was voluntary for these individuals are if they voluntarily left UPI within 30 months after completing this full training, they would have to reimburse the company $30,000 of the expense of the training, less $1,000 per month of subsequent service at UPI. So basically what they this company was doing was saying, you know, we'll, we'll pay for the estimated 46 grand in expenses is going to cost to train you. But if you leave within this time frame, you're going to have to pay us a chunk of this back. And a max of 30,000, but then I guess it goes down each month that they're still working there. Right. And so this, the, the individual that's involved in this lawsuit, you completed the program two months later, you resigned. And so they said, well, you owe us the, the $28,000. That's what you agreed to. And that's when the whole famous 16600 BNP section of California came into play, which I mentioned at the, the beginning of this. I, I broadly said non-competition, but it's yeah more than just that. <laughs> I'll read you the, the applicable provision. And as you listeners at home, think about for a second how this relates and see if you can kind of get the idea. It says, the relevant part says, Every contract by which anyone is restrained from engaging in a lawful profession, trade, or business of any kind is to that extent void, okay? And so at first, all of you should be thinking about non-compete, right? We've talked about a, a hundred times. In fact, we're going to talk about non-competes this Wednesday. But think about this as a non-compete provision. How does that apply to reimbursing for training? And the idea is that Okay, if you have this provision that if the employee leaves and they have to pay upwards of $30,000, then that in itself may be a restriction of trade that they're pretty much indentured to work for their employer until that debt is basically paid off. For If it's $1,000 per month, what's uh, 30000 divided by 12? How many years is that? About two and a half or so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Two and a half. And so that's why it comes back to what you brought up before about the voluntary aspect of it. I guess I should get to what actually happened first. So this was the appellate court. I'm trying to see if they upheld it or overturned. I, I don't know if the... Yeah, upheld. Upheld. Okay. So surprisingly, what was held was that this employee did have to pay back the money to the employer, which California employers get very few victories. They're, they're very few and far between. But this was a pretty surprising one. And then this is the appellate court, so it made it through two different rounds here, and that's why I'm going to the voluntary aspect of it. I think if it was involuntary and it was required, I don't think we they would have got to the same decision that they did. Yeah, and, and just, just to clarify, I mean, there has been cases in California that have dealt with this issue a little bit. There was one in the federal court, a federal court in California, and they still opined on California law. I think this is the most recent decision from an appellate level in the California, just for the lawyers that are maybe listening, kind of getting a education on that. But this is definitely significant. And, and if you look at other states on how they've dealt with this, California has been one of those that a lot of lawyers, when they draft these, they've always been kind of concerned of it's being challenged. And you really have to focus on how you draft it. But the same goes with these other states too, because you can easily draft these types of what we call employee reimbursement agreements or training reimbursement agreements incorrectly that in a way that's not enforceable. And one of the common mistakes is basically you make it a penalty that if they leave early, they owe you this amount of money. This happens all the time. You have an employee, you spend all this time training them and then they leave. That's not quite what we're talking about here. And Matt, 
made a good point to magnify the importance of the voluntary nature of this. Mm -hmm. But also there's another component of the actual expenses. So even if it is voluntary, if there's not actual expenses that the employer spent in order to train, then it's going to be also hard to collect more than what the actual expenses were. Here, the estimated cost is over $46,000 per employee, yet they're not asking for $46,000 and they're asking for something less than that. That was the agreement they had was, you know, they estimated forty six grand per employee, but the, the most that somebody could pay was thirty. So it wasn't possible to get the full amount back. I, so basically, no matter what they said, the employer saying, you know, the idea is we're going to train these people to do this higher level. They're probably presumably going to get paid more and we're going to make more off of it. So we just kind of look at everything as a whole and think of it as a win. I think this is a win on top of that. The fact that. Yeah. Here's what the court said. Repayment of the fronted costs of a voluntarily undertaken educational program, the benefits of which transcend any specific employment and are readily transportable, is not a restraint on employment. So going back to 16600, that restraint language, which is one of the more broad and ambiguous sections of, of code I can remember or I can recall off the top of my head. But yeah, this is... This is a win for for California employees for sure, but how much of a win is it? This is a pretty narrow scope, right? It's there's a lot of different things, a lot of boxes have to be checked on this in order for this to work. I think for for the employer. Yeah, I I, I think so. Also, how many times it's going to actually come up in a you know an actual situation is probably rare. I mean, forty six thousand for training just seems. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, if you're putting that much investment into one employee, those skills are going to be useful elsewhere. And I think that's the whole concept, right? Is that, look, I'm paying all this money and then they're just going to go across to a competitor and I'm kind of stuck with a bill. That's not fair. Right. There's also something in the FLSA, the Fair Labor and Standards Act, federal law, that may imply that, you know, this concept, okay, let's say they spend all this money, they're getting paid their regular wage, but then a month later, they leave and now they owe this all this money. One of the arguments that they could have made, I don't know if they made it in this deal, is that, well, if the employee does pay that back, then effectively they would have worked for less than minimum wage. Mm. And I'm not sure if it was made in this this case, but there there has been a case, this was actually the, that federal court uh, case in 2010 in California, where that argument was raised. And despite that, the court still ruled that the employee had to pay back that reimbursement. So, but here's another thing, another common mistake. Sorry, I just remembered another common mistake of these reimbursement agreements is that these employers will take it out of their final paycheck. In California, it's a big issue. Some other states, you may be able to get away with that if you have it in writing and so forth, but that's another kind of touchy area as well. Yes. That was basically you running from one side of the courtroom to the other, arguing against yourself back and forth. But yeah, it's all all good points. (laughs) That's true. Either way you win and you lose. So I can't remember if we talked about this, but it also reminds me of liquidated damages clauses in, this is very specific, in H1, like H1B worker contracts. And let me just break this down because I think it's, it, it is relevant. So you have these H-1B visas, which basically are work visas that employers sponsor. You have employees that come from overseas or from outside the, outside the country, and you sponsor them, and, but there's some money. And, you, and sometimes you pay for the attorneys, sometimes you do this, all this kind of work to get that person here. And the danger is you bring them here, and then a month later they quit, right? And then 
it's like, okay, I spent all this time. And so a lot of people, what they do is they put these liquidated damages clause, which aren't dissimilar to this. I mean, this $30,000 issue is it's, it's exactly that a liquidated damages clause, basically saying that if you terminate this contract early at this period, then you're going to owe us this amount of money because that's the, that's calculable to our expenses is what's going to be or whatever. So in those cases, the courts have pretty much found something similar to these training cases that they're pretty much tolerated. They have to be crafted properly. There are ways to mess up, but generally they're acceptable. I think you're referring to Chamberlain v. Augustine, actually decided uh, 100 years ago. Wow. 1916, but yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to. That was a sum of $5,000 as liquidated damages. I actually gave the oral argument in that case. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, bottom line is, I mean, we, we get this question a lot, right? Yeah. We have employees that we've trained. How do we make sure that they don't leave and, you know, <laughs> take their money with them? I mean, to sum it up, it, it's, I mentioned before all the different boxes that had to be checked. Just looking at this, it was a voluntary decision by the employees. It was educational benefits. The time period for kind of the claw or the payback was a defined time period. You know, I mean, that's that's a lot of things for to put in this sort of agreement. So if you are going to do something like this, it's got to be similar to those lines, at least according to this very fresh appellate decision that could be overturned. Who knows? So, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. But it's for now, it's take it while you can, I suppose. I think it's the right decision. And I don't, I don't think with even with that non-compete statute, I don't think it was contemplated that the employers would be put in such a bad position. But Matt brings up a good point. Who knows? In California, things could change overnight. Oh, it's already been overturned just now. Oh, <laughs> Justin, I read it on Twitter, in fact. It's real time. In fact, the court, the judge actually is on Twitter. In fact, we found out before even the, the employer found out. That's how he announced his ruling. Unbelievable. <laughs> this day and age, right? Everything's changing. Exactly. Well, I think that's uh, our episode for today, but uh, more non-compete stuff this week. I think that's our theme this week, non-competes, huh? Yeah, President's Day, non-compete. Two days after President's Day, also non-compete, so. Yeah, our yearly tradition, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us. Yep, keep it sound, keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.